0: for joining me on episode 10 of the Uni Park Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, and today is a little different as I share with you one of my past sermons that took place at Bayview Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Take a listen as we learn lessons from Paul's worship time in prison. love road trips. And I always think to myself that a road trip with kids is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And then you go on it, right? And I'm that mom where I say, "Okay, No devices, no tablets, everybody's bringing books and magazines, and I've got my whole arsenal of Adventures in Odyssey, and I got my Chronicles and Ardia on CD because I drive a Pontiac Vibe, and so it's really old, still has a CD player, and I've got the the healthy snacks and the sandwiches, and I always think to myself, we are going to have so much fun. We're going to create so many memories, and we do. We create memories. And uh, don't get me wrong, my kids are actually very good in the car, but they act a lot like your kids too. They're in the back seat going, Oh, Mom, she's breathing on me. Mom, he won't stop touching me. Right? And has anybody ever been on the Washington, D.C. Beltway by yourself during rush hour with kids in the back seat? It's the worst. And it's not even that... If I was just sitting there in the middle of traffic, that'd be fine. Give me a magazine, give me a book. I can sit there for a couple hours, not a big deal. No, you're inching. For two hours in the car, you inch. And there's always that child in the back seat, statistically the youngest, that yells, Mom, hurry up. Go faster. Why aren't you going any faster? And then you start to twitch, you know, you develop that little twitch in your eye. And you spend two hours doing that, and then you finally get off the exit, and you enter the parking lot of the Holy of Holies, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and you pull up, you go inside, and you realize it's not as holy as you think it is because of all the unholy thoughts that are still going through your brain. And you, you fill your stomach, you're feeling a little bit more righteous, a little bit more holy. And you get out on the road, and you say, yes, finally. We're going fast, we're going 80 miles an hour, we're going to make it. And it happens, every road trip, it happens at least twice, and I can calculate it, it's about 31.2 minutes. A child then yells from the back seat, what? (laughs) I have to go to the bathroom, are you serious? Are you for real, we were just at whatever restaurant, gas station, What? and you have to go to the bathroom? And you sit and you go, okay, what was I thinking? What was I thinking that this would be a good idea? Did I not learn from the last road trip this would be bad? And I have to wonder, did Paul ever think that? Did Paul, every time he went out on a missionary journey, go, what was I thinking? Because every time Paul goes out on the road... Something bad happens. The first missionary journey, the first road trip that Paul takes, he's abused, he's exiled from certain cities, he has conspiracy plots out against him, and he was stoned to the point of almost death. And at that point, I would have said, Okay, God, that was great, we're done. I I did my thing for Jesus. I'm going to go home and and, and stay in my nice, cozy house. But Paul, along with Barnabas, they go back to Antioch in Acts chapter 14 and 15. And Antioch is where they were first commissioned. And they go and they give a recap to the church about everything that happened. And instead of quitting, Paul picks up a new missionary partner, Silas, and they head out on the road again. And as they're driving down the road, you see you, Paul's in the driver's seat, Silas is in the passenger seat, and, and they see Timothy. You know, he's got his thumb out, he's hitchhiking, so they pick up Timothy. They drive down the road a little bit longer. They see Luke, the writer of Acts. They pick him up, he starts journaling in the back seat. And there was all these places that Paul wanted to go in Asia. And Paul or God kept saying, no, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. And then one night, Paul receives a dream, a prophetic dream, to go to the area of Macedonia, which was in Europe. It was about northwest of where they were at. If you can get that map, thank you. You can see where Macedonia is. It's Paul's first trip to Europe. And Paul says, all right, let's do this. He grabs his crew. They get in the car. They head to Macedonia, and they land in the wealthy trade city of Philippi. Now picture with me Philippi. It is like the Florida of the Roman world. This is where all the Roman soldiers go to retire. And they, they pull up, and it is a very patriotic city because they're all former military. Anybody grow up in a home where your father was in the military? My mom and my dad were both former military. So we were a patriotic family. We loved our vets. It's very patriotic, but it was also very divided. Because to be a Roman citizen was everything. You had special tax benefits. You got to appeal to the emperor for any legal issues. You had the right to due process, that right to a trial. You had all these different benefits that those that were not Roman citizens, they didn't have. And, it, and they saw themselves as superior to everyone else which then caused this great divide. And as Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they get to Philippi, and they meet a woman named Lydia. They lead her and her whole household to the Lord, so they start the very first Philippian church right in her home, and then they go down to the water to preach to the women there. And day after day, there is a demon-possessed slave girl who makes her master's money by telling fortunes. And she's harassing them. And it shows you the patience that Paul has, because it says after days, finally, Paul got frustrated. And he then rebukes that demonic spirit out of the girl. And this is where we pick up. Acts chapter 16, verse 19. If you don't have the Bible, or have your Bible with you, we do have the words on the screen. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Uh, Side note, I don't know where Luke and Timothy are. I don't know if they're hiding in the bushes, but they're completely MIA at this point. Verse 20. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Remember, to be a Roman citizen is everything. And here these men are preaching about a poor Jewish carpenter and that he is the only way to heaven. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Then he received these orders and he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. If Paul's first missionary journey was not discouraging enough, this one would be. And you would think that Paul would be angry at this point, not necessarily because he was in prison, but because he was obedient to God. God said, Go to Macedonia. And he went, and look what happened. He was stripped, he was beaten, he was flogged, and now he sits, beaten and bruised, in prison. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit. I know nobody else does this here, but I'm an overthinker. So I would be sitting there in prison going, Okay, did God really say Macedonia, or did he say Minnesota? Uh, Was that really a prophetic dream that I had? Maybe it was the pizza that I ate the night before. Or maybe I shouldn't have rebuked the demon out of that girl. Maybe I should have just loved on her in the name of Jesus and said, God, what did I do wrong that I am in this mess right now? I obeyed you. I went to Macedonia, and here I am. And maybe that's you today. And no, you're not in a physical prison But inside, you feel like you might as well be. It could be health issues where you have just been diagnosed with cancer or disease. Or maybe you've had a specific health problem your whole life and you've been praying that God would bring healing to your body and yet nothing is happening. Or maybe it's emotional. You sit here still single. And you're saying, Lord, I have obeyed you my whole life. I am watching all of my friends who have messed up. You're sending them spouses, and yet here I am. And I'm still waiting. Or maybe you miscarried, and you're wondering, Lord, why would you give me a child for three or four months just to take that baby away? Or maybe you raised your children. And you said, Lord, I did what Proverbs says, and I raised them in the way they should go, and yet they are far from you, and they are addicted to drugs. What did I do wrong that I am in this mess right now? Paul and Silas, they, didn't, they did not misinterpret God's direction. They went to Macedonia and did exactly what God had asked them to do, and now they are in prison. But instead of getting angry and cursing God, which I have the habit of doing, they chose something different. And we pick up in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do? to be saved. Paul and Silas then lead the guard as well as the whole household to the Lord, and we pick back up in verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. And they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters, and encouraged them. Then they left. 2020 was a difficult year for many people, but for me personally, it was a light at the end of a very dark tunnel. I had spent the the last few years not realizing it, but I was in a, what you would call a low-grade depression. Have you ever been to a place in your life where you know you would never harm yourself, you know you would never take your own life, but you go to bed at night and you say, God, if I fall asleep tonight and I don't wake up, that would be okay. And it's because the pain in your life is so excruciating that you just want it to just go. And I was a really motivated person. I would read at least 20 books a year, and I think I was just, I was barely finishing three. I always loved getting up in the morning and facing life, and I could barely drag myself out of bed. And I'm not a TV person, but I just begin to just binge watch. And one day I was in my bedroom and binge watching Criminal Minds for the third time, and my husband walked in. He used to be a social worker, And he said, babe, I used to screen people for depression for a living. He said, you need help. You need to get yourself some help. And even though my marriage was good and my kids were healthy, I felt as if everything around me, everything else in life was falling apart. I was struggling in my job. Dreams that I had were being crushed. And one of the situations that was happening was my son had gone into kindergarten. And it was a really rough year every week I was getting phone calls and emails all throughout the week explaining different behaviors. And I had a, a really good friend who was a teacher at the school. She approached me and she said, Rachel, your son is very intelligent, uh, more intelligent than what I normally see, but something is wrong. She said, I don't want to tell you that, but something's not right and you need to go and you need to go to the doctor, and you need to seek help. I'm just, I'm, I've been teaching a long time. I'm drawn to kids like him. Something is not okay. Took him to the pediatrician. We ruled out autism. We rolled out ADHD. And she finally found an article that she sent to me, and it was called Sensory Processing dis- Disorder, or SPD for short, and I'm not going to go into what that is. But I'm reading the article, and I'm sitting there, okay, check, check, check. Check. All the symptoms line up with what my son is doing. And in the northern Michigan area, some of you know this already, when you know that your child has some sort of special need, you call TBA ISD. And you explain to them where you feel your child is at, and they send in all the ists, right? The psychologist, the physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech therapist, and a social worker, and they evaluate your child for months. After those months, you sit in a meeting called an IEP meeting. Some of you have gone through that. You don't have to raise your hand. I see you. You can just shake your head. (laughs) IEP stands for Individual Education Plan. I think they should rename it to Individual Excruciating Pain because that's what it is when you're sitting there in that meeting because all the is and the teacher and the principal, they genuinely care about your child and they genuinely want to see your child succeed. But as the parent on the other side, and they hand you this stack of paper to explain everything that's wrong with your child, it's painful. And you sit there and you go, what have I done wrong? What did I do that my child has turned out like this? And I got into the car after that meeting, and I sat in the parking lot, and I just ugly cried. And I said, Lord, I don't understand this. My life, I feel, is falling apart, and you have to add this onto it. Couldn't you just kind of like even out the pain a little bit? Could you have sent this later? Not now. I mean, I can understand if I were being persecuted or murdered for my faith in another country, at least that pain would have some sort of purpose. This has no purpose. I said, God, I am so angry with you right now, but I thank you. I thank you, and I praise you. And I thanked God that day, not because I'm super spiritual or because I just love Jesus. I thanked him because I didn't know what else to do. And I knew what scripture said. Years after Paul was was in Philippi, he's once again sitting in prison. And he writes a letter to the Philippians. Because he loved the Philippian people. And he wrote them this letter. And in chapter 4, he said... To the church in Thessalonica, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I didn't know why I was praising God in a very difficult, painful situation when I felt as if my whole life was falling apart, but I knew what the Bible said. And I think God gives us the answers in Acts chapter 16. And if we just glaze over those few paragraphs, we will miss what God is trying to teach us while Paul and Silas are sitting in prison. The first thing that God wants to teach us is that praise in hard times is an act of trust. It's our act of submission. When we are going through tragedy, when our lives are miserable and we sing praises to God, what we are communicating to him is, God, I don't understand what is going on, but I trust that you know what's going on. When I thanked God sitting, ugly crying in my car, that was the first step of saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust that you know what you're doing. It's like that, that dad that takes his three-year-old daughter to the park for the very first time and she sees that great big playground and she goes and she's so excited and she gets to the top and then fear takes over and she's scared it's six feet above but she might as well be standing 60 and she says daddy I can't move I'm scared I'm gonna fall I'm gonna hurt myself and daddy says no just jump I've got you and she says, No, daddy, I'm going to fall. I'm going to hurt myself. I can't. I am stuck up here. No, no, no. Just jump. And when that three year old puts her foot out, what she is communicating to her father is, I don't know what is going to happen, but I trust that you do. I trust you, dad. The second lesson we learn is that our praise, our worship, ushers in god's presence that's why we start out every service praising god worshiping him before we go into the message you look at paul and silas an earthquake happened now i'm not underestimating the power of earthquakes but when simultaneously all the doors fly open and every single prisoner's chains break off uh that was jesus That was not just the earthquake. God had a hand in that. That was incredibly powerful. There is power in our praise. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. In the Old Testament, when King Saul was going mad, he would invite David in to play the harp and sing worship songs. And when the Holy Spirit was ushered in, King Saul would calm down and he would get into his sane mind again. And when we usher in God's presence, it then positions our hearts. It does, number three, it softens our hearts. When that jailer woke up from the earthquake, he knew he was in big trouble. Because to be sleeping on the job while you need to be guarding your prisoners, that was a big no-no. So he drew out his sword because he knew him killing himself would be a whole lot easier than what everybody else was going to do to him. But Paul said, no, 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 don't kill yourself. We're here. I'm sorry, but if an earthquake happens and the doors fly open and my chains are off, I'm taking that as a sign of the Lord and I'm saying, peace out. I'm gone. But Paul stayed. He said, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. See, God had softened his heart. He positioned his heart to be more like Jesus at that moment. He cared more about that jailer's life and his salvation than he did about his own. His heart was softened. Number four, how we handle our hard times, our tragedies, will determine the doors that open up for us. Paul and Silas... After this whole ordeal, they lead the jailer and his household all to Jesus. And then when they release, they go to Lydia's house to encourage the believers. Because he knew they would be persecuted one day. And here he is sharing a testimony to help them in their faith and encourage them. Years ago... When I was going through this with my son, a friend of mine, she has seven kids, half of them are adopted with special needs. And she was watching me as I was going through this process, and she said, Rachel, you have more of a life to speak in, or more of a right to speak into my life as a parent now. And I thought, I I don't understand what that means, you've been to hell and back several times, you've made many trips with your children. And she said, because you get it. You've gone through the IEP process. You've gone through all the doctors. You've had to do all the therapists. You have compassion. You're not judgmental. You have empathy where others do not. And when it comes to our tragedies, when it comes to our hard times, we have two choices. We can choose to curse God and allow our hearts to become hardened and bitter and judge everybody around us. Or we can praise God Allow him to soften our hearts, and then that develops compassion, it develops empathy, and it then opens up doors for us to not only witness to unbelievers who may be going through the same situation, but it also helps us to encourage those that are believers that need a testimony for them to persevere in their hard time. And then the last one, number five. Praising God, it softens our hearts, yes. But it also gives us a backbone. Paul stood up when the magistrates came and said, hey, you can go, it's time for you to leave. Paul said, no, 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 excuse me, I'm a Roman citizen. Silas, he's a Roman citizen. And you denied us the right to due process. You denied us the right to a trial. You beat us, you humiliated us and stuck us in in prison. That was against the law. And you, you're just expecting us to leave quietly? Mm Mm-mm. You're, you're going to escort us out. And Paul wasn't being a jerk. He was just standing up for what is right. And when we are going through a tragedy, when we're going through those hard times where we feel as if though we are in prison, we are weak. And when we praise God, it gives us the strength that we need to stand up, not just for ourselves, but to stand up for what is going on around us. So if you're in here and you are in a domestic situation where you are being abused at home, you have every right to stand up and say, this is not okay, and walk away. If the school that your child is at is teaching things that go against your faith, you have every right to approach the school board and say, this is not okay. But as Christians, and I see this especially with women, we we have this idea that we need to be Mr. Nice, Mrs. Nice Christian. And in the name of love and the name of humility and in the name of not wanting to create conflict and just keep peace, we allow people to walk all over us. We praise God to give us that backbone to stand up for what is right. I went to another dear friend of mine at the school and I said, who am I to advocate for my son? I don't have a master's degree. I'm not an expert in special education. And she said, no, you may not have a master's degree. You may not be an expert in special education, but you are an expert in your son, and you need to advocate for what is right for him. And I'm so glad my husband and I stood up and we said, these are the resources that he needs. He needs speech therapy, he needs physical therapy, he needs occupational therapy. I'm glad we went to the doctors to make sure we got the referrals, to make sure he got everything that he needs because he is now in a better place here than he would have been if we hadn't advocated for him. I don't think Paul, every time he went out on the missions field, I don't think he forgot about the last road trip and how hard it was. No matter how many times he was beaten, no matter how many times he went to prison, he didn't forget. I think Paul embraced the call that God had on his life. The, the call that God has placed on each and every single one of our lives is not the call that we would have for ourselves. It's not the plan that we would have. And I think we forget this in the Western world because we've been given so much. And I'm not discounting us having abundance. The Bible says too much is given, much is required. That means that we are to take the abundance that God has given us and use it to help others. But we forget that our life is not our own. And we are here for two reasons, that is to know God and to make him known. That is at the top. Yes, we have passions and we have giftings and we have desires, but those are secondary. We take the giftings that God has given us, the passions and desires, and we couple that with our number one goal, to know God and to make him known. And the calling that he has placed on your life will not be fun at times. And it will be hard, but the calling that he has placed on you will be the one that glorifies him the most. It will be the one that will lead more people to Jesus and encourage those believers that need help. If Paul hadn't endured those beatings all that time in jail, he wouldn't have led so many people to Christ. And he wouldn't have been inspiring people with his words well over a thousand years from from then all because of the hard times that he went through. I'll end with this. Ira Sankey was a famous gospel singer back in the late 1800s. But during the Civil War, he had answered President Lincoln's call to serve in the North, in the Union Army. And one night, Ira is out and he had night duty, which means he had to stay up while all of the soldiers slept. He stayed up and kept watch. Now, I've never been to war. I've, I'm a history nerd, so I've read a lot about war, and it's very horrific. I, 9-11 happened a few months after I graduated, so a lot of my friends went over to Iraq and Afghanistan, and their, horror, their stories that they brought home were incredibly horrific. It is the one place... But one of the last places I would ever think to praise God is in the middle of war. Yet here's Ira in the middle of the Civil War, and he's keeping watch over his comrades, and he lifts his head to heaven and he praises God with a hymn. Many years later, Ira, this is a true story, he's famous now, and he's on a ship, he's on tour. And on this ship, everybody finds out Ira Sankey is here on this ship. And they crowd around him, Ira, sing us a song. Sing for us, please. And he begins to sing the hymn that he sang years earlier during the Civil War. And as all the passengers are dispersing after he's done, one gentleman came up to him and, and said, Ira, were you on the Union side of the Army during the Civil War? I said, yeah, I was. Were you in this city and state at this time of the year keeping watch over the other soldiers? Iris said, yeah, that, that was me. And the gentleman said, I was fighting on the Confederate side, on the southern side in that war. That night I had a musket to your head. But then you began to sing. And I thought, well, he's a good singer. He's got a good voice. I like music. I'll let him finish and then I'll shoot him. But then I heard the song that you were singing, and it was the same song my mother would sing to me at my bedside growing up. And I just couldn't shoot you. I was powerless. I had the musket up to your head, and I just couldn't pull the trigger. At that moment, I reled that gentleman to Jesus. And over the years, I reled thousands of people to the Lord through his praise. We never know on this earth fully what our praise will do for God. For Ira, it literally saved his life. But God used it in such a powerful way to bring glory to his name. If I can have you all stand with me. for joining me on this special edition of the unique on purpose podcast sermon notes edition i did end that service challenging those that were going through a struggle to praise jesus we did not play the song due to copyright issues but one of my most favorite songs to worship god to when i am struggling is casting crowds praising the storm but if you are in that place right now where you need to worship Jesus, you need to put your trust in him. Even though you don't understand what's going on, I challenge you to pick out that favorite song and to worship God. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved. And because of Christ, you have been made worthy. Join me next week as we chat with one of my heroes, Patty Weathers, on finding victory in single motherhood.